You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Jurassic World Dominion, which came out in 2022, was directed by Colin Trevorrow. It stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Chris Pratt, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, DeWanda Wise, Mamadou Athi, Isabel Sermon, and Campbell Scott. The genre would be dinosaur thriller. Come back. I always come back. have to go bigger. Jurassic World No Way Home is basically two movies in one. The first half is sort of World War D for dinosaurs, get it? And I was digging it quite a bit. We are traversing around the globe, revisiting several old characters, meeting some new ones. There's a global ecological disaster afoot. And of course, dinosaurs are everywhere and have infected every aspect of our lives. And most of the locations are scenic and well shot. Most of the dinosaur action is very well crafted. And even with some returning performers who might not have been that great in previous films, let's say rhyming with Brat and Scoured, everybody seems to be doing their job. And we are never lingering on one of the weaker characters or performances that long for it to get bothersome. It's a very hopeful first half in that we are finally seeing the promise of a world expanded, which has been kind of promoted and hyped through the previous Jurassic World films, now finally coming to fruition. But that, of course, brings us to the second half of the movie. Now, I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say that the overall story becomes very contained, to the point where it just felt like very similar territory tread by the previous Jurassic films. We get efforts on the part of our protagonists to reboot power, secure air transport, using fire to divert the dinos, etc., etc. This has all been done multiple times in the franchise at this point. Which is not to say that it's being done badly this time around. The performances are relatively strong across the board. I even found myself liking both Pratt and Howard much more than in previous movies. At this point, Owen and Claire are both lived-in characters with a mission and special props to Bryce Dallas Howard for achieving a nice, compelling arc for her character over this most recent Jurassic World trilogy. Her Claire is clearly someone who has developed into a much more caring and passionate person since that first Jurassic World, and it is believably portrayed. Do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? When you see them, it's like a miracle. And I see that newcomer to the franchise, DeWanda Wise, has been getting some praise for her performance as well as Wanda, a smuggler type with a jet at her disposal who aligns with our protagonist at some point. It's all deserved, as she is genuinely engaging and just cuts a very charismatic action figure as the rogue person of action character, which stories like this so often need. We gotta go. 
Gonna have to break a window to get inside that thing. Hope nobody's afraid of heights. Don't, don't move. The big three returning stars of previous films, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, they are all fun to watch as well. They retain the great chemistry that they had in that original 1993 movie. How are you kids? Mm. Amazing. Grown. It's shocking. They're both in college. Can you believe that? And Mark? It's over. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. I'm back to me, my work. You know, it's... That's great. It's good. It is. I'm alone at last. Exciting times. Yeah, I'm living the Alan Grant life. It's just... Can be lonely. So free. Allie, you didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? The story just increasingly becomes along the lines of, we got to do this thing to do that other thing, which will help us do the main thing, etc. From a technical standpoint, it all looks top-notch. The dinos look pretty photorealistic at this point, and there were a couple of moments which made me jump a bit. And it also drags. The last 30 to 40 minutes end up feeling more drawn out as opposed to suspenseful. It's all well-intentioned, but I just found it increasingly familiar and a bit dull, sadly, as we get towards the end. And a small quibble about the dinos here. Am I the only one who could really never tell much of a difference between the T-Rex and whatever seemingly bigger apex predator any of the sequels would introduce? There's always one of them. Whether it be the Spinosaurus or the Gigantosaurus, I think that's the one in this movie, or the Indominus Rex, you never really get a sense of scale, and it just ends up looking like two giant dinos fighting each other with barely any noticeable physical attributes to differentiate them. Now keep in mind, this is not in any way a criticism of the visual effects. They look convincing. It's just that when you get to a certain height and so much is occurring in the dark, it's hard to tell them apart. Maybe next time they could just keep it simple by making both giant dinosaurs T-Rexes and maybe have one of them wear a red shawl or something along those lines. Colin Trevorrow directed this while also co-writing the screenplay with Emily Carmichael. It feels like there were several good ideas here. The whole concept of a globe-trotting suspense epic with dinosaurs integrated into the plot was very promising. But at the end, he just had to eventually shift the story into a more conventional place for this franchise. Seriously, at this point, having our characters try to escape a closed-in, corporate-run environment while trying to expose its hazards has pretty much become this franchise's version of destroying yet another Death Star. It's another Death Star. I wish that were the case, Major. This was the Death Star. And this is Starkiller Base. So, it's big. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop, the best song cue, or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Michael Giacchino was the composer for this film, and while I have loved many of his scores, including most recently for The Batman, honestly, I got nothing. Nothing really stood out to me from this score. You often hear snippets, but just snippets, of the original Jurassic Park theme, along with the new theme for Jurassic World that he brought to the franchise in 2015. But not really enough to register, nor could I really detect any new distinct themes. Just a lot of serviceable chase and creeping music, which does generally do the job, to be fair. Hey, at least we will always have that original theme from John Williams, right? 
And that brings us to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, regarding the villain, he is played by Campbell Scott. He's a tech billionaire who's soft-spoken, often robotic-sounding, wears black turtlenecks, and has close-cropped white hair. Okay, forgetting the fact that every Jurassic film so far has already given us some variation of the ruthless, disaffected corporate villain pulling the strings, we are really still doing this in 2022. I mean, I get the whole idea of ripped from the headlines, you know, it's what's current, but we see these guys on the news and the media all the time already. You know who I'm talking about. And Mark Rylance just played a much more effective version of this same character in Don't Look Up. Check out that review, by the way. And he also brought his own unique, creepy spin to that character. That's just not the case here. Now, Campbell Scott is a good actor, and he is doing the most he can with his performance. But this villain trope has just been done so many times recently. At this point, pretty much every beat that Campbell Scott's character goes through just felt very rote this time around. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. I'll say this about Jurassic World Maverick. The action in this movie is impressive, especially a truly high-wire chase sequence around Malta. This extended sequence kicks off as two of our heroes, Owen and Claire, are trying to track down someone important to them who has been kidnapped. And this leads them to a sizable black market for dinosaurs in Malta. Just the sheer scope of what we see off the bat is very intricate as we enter this large open floor, which has an array of everything you could expect from such a seedy operation including cockfights between smaller dinosaurs, and even some being roasted on an open fire. Just crazy stuff, and all really well done. Our protagonists are being led by Owen's friend in the CIA, played by the charismatic Omar Sy. He had a supporting role in Jurassic World as well. They're here to take down a new shady deal that's about to go down. And wouldn't you know, things go sideways. You remember how we used to get the raptors in the truck? Yeah. Yeah. Now? And the folks on the other end of this deal try to get away from the authorities by opening up these small metal paddocks to unleash these newer genetically enhanced versions of velociraptors. They're called atrociraptors. Yep, these are basically raptor assassins who vigorously chase a target once you point a laser at them, at the target. And what results is a frantic chase with Claire by foot and Owen by motorcycle trying to evade these atrociraptors through narrow streets rooftops, jumping onto balconies, plowing down stairs, the works. The camera work is clean, the stunt work is convincing, and of course the CGI rendering of these creatures is perfectly rendered so that you believe that they are really inhabiting this space. Now, if you have seen any of the most recent Bourne, Bond, or Mission Impossible movies, this might all feel somewhat familiar, as they've all had similar sequences to this in how they are shot and edited. But hey... We have never actually seen Ethan Hunt try to evade a raptor. So who's complaining? And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Whatever issues I have with this movie from a structural or narrative standpoint, the one area of it which is absolutely unassailable is the presentation of those damn dinosaurs. The texture, the movement, it is genuinely next level stuff. Industrial Light and Magic once again handled the visual effects for this movie as they did for the previous five movies in this franchise. 
and they definitely raised their game this time around. All the more impressive considering that most of the production and post-production was occurring during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, that Malta sequence is a showcase for those Atrociraptors, but there are just so many others. Another standout for me was the Therizinosaurus, if I'm pronouncing it right, which one might nickname the Freddy Krueger dinosaur and that its most distinctive feature is likely its sharp, extended blades for claws, three on each side. And it's only marginally shorter than the T-Rex. About halfway through, it's featured stalking Claire through the jungle after she tries to release herself from a parachute just having landed there. This, quote, scythe lizard, as it is also known, looks fierce, and it is well integrated into this wet, slimy environment as we see Claire try to evade it by going underwater. And regarding the various dinosaurs, we are not just talking CGI either. Apparently, there were more animatronics used during production than any previous Jurassic film, including the first one. 14 different dinosaurs, including the biggest one, the previously mentioned Gigantosaurus, if I'm pronouncing that one right. All of the practical effects are blended seamlessly together with the computer-generated effects. And now having seen all six Jurassic movies, I don't think I have been this impressed with the creatures since The Lost World in 1997. Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and, and screaming. It's such a large group of creative wizards here. I could not possibly know nor list them all, but just to mention a few. Creature supervisor John Nolan, production visual effects supervisor David Vickery, and animation supervisor Jance Rubinchik, among dozens and dozens of others who toiled for more than two years to bring these creatures to life. These are your MVPs. My overall rating for Jurassic World Afterlife would be two and a half stars out of five. Honestly, if you enjoyed the previous two Jurassic World movies, I don't see why you wouldn't enjoy this one, as it's actually marginally better. Better effects, better cast, and better performances overall. But it did not need to be 150 minutes long, and it only gets part of the way there towards presenting us with an actual Jurassic World, as has been described in the title of these movies. For the entire franchise, I would probably rank this closely behind The Lost World, which I consider a guilty pleasure, and well behind the original Jurassic Park. That's another plane, right? Not exactly. See it for the dinosaurs, if nothing else. And if you are looking to watch Jurassic World Dominion, yes, I have known the whole time that that's the real title, just playing around, it is currently playing in theaters. And that ends another Cretaceous review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.